Welcome to this edition of Back to Basics with Pastor Brian Broderson. Daniel is to the Old Testament. Many of us know this already. He is to the Old Testament what Revelation is to the New Testament. And when we get to the prophetic portion beginning in chapter 6, we're going to see some interesting overlaps and some interesting parallels between what Daniel has to say and what we read in some of the chapters of Revelation. Today on Back to Basics, Pastor Brian continues his study through the books of the Old Testament prophets. Join us as Pastor Brian begins his teaching on Daniel chapter 1. Now, here's Pastor Brian. All right, so we're going uh, we're, we're gonna to try to go at a pace of, of a chapter a week, at least through chapter 6, because chapters 1 through 6 are the narrative portion of Daniel. And then when we get to chapter 7, then we end up in the section that very much deals with Bible prophecy and so we'll just kind of see how it goes when we get there. We might, we might make it through a chapter night there. So, so here we go. We're launching into this book that, you know, we actually, in our journey through the Bible, we came to it quite a while back. But maybe you rem- remember I said I kind of wanted to pause and just dig into the book myself a little bit and do some reading and kind of just, you know, get some fresh perspectives and... I had a wonderful read through uh, Dr. John Lennox's book on Daniel. Uh, The book is called Against the Flow, and it's a tremendous book. If you ever want to just read a a great book that is also basically a commentary on Daniel, that is a a really tremendous book. It's it's now my favorite book on on the book of Daniel. So let's... Let, let, let me read just a few verses, and then I want to kind of give some introductory thoughts, and, and then we'll jump back in. So, in the third year of the reign of Jehoiakim, king of Judah, Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, came to Jerusalem and besieged it. And the Lord gave Jehoiakim, king of Judah, into his hand with some of the articles of the house of God which he carried into the land of Shinar to the house of his God. And he brought the articles into the treasure house of his God. So that's where we begin. The year is is about 605 BC. That was the first siege of Jerusalem by Nebuchadnezzar. And it was during this first siege, there would be another one in 597 And then there would be the final siege and destruction of the temple in 586. And so there's there's about a 20-year gap between the time that Daniel is carried away into the captivity and Jeremiah is there prophesying at the end of the kingdom of Judah. So the time frame is about 500 plus years before Christ. That's what we're looking at as far as the time that, that Daniel ministered and prophesied. Uh, my friend David Guzik, in his a commentary on Daniel, he had this cool little thing. He talked about 
some of the different things that were going on in the world simultaneously, so, so around the same time. And so also during that time period, there was the construction of the Acropolis that began in Athens around that time. This was an interesting one. The Mayan civilization flourished in Mexico at the time that we're reading about here. Aesop wrote his fables. Confucius and Buddha were living at the time. A Greek art began to truly excel. The Greeks, this is an interesting one, the Greeks introduced the olive tree to Italy. How about that? I like olives in Italy better than olives in Greece, so I don't know. <laughs> the Italians, of course, they're the food kings, right? So they took it and they, they made the olive better. And then finally, there's probably many more things, but David had these. Uh, the Phoenicians made the first known sea journey around the tip of Africa. So these things were all going on in the world at the time that Daniel went to Babylon. So Daniel was a prophet. Jesus referred to him as a prophet. When you see the abomination of desolation spoken of by Daniel the prophet, Jesus said that in Matthew 24. So he was a prophet. And there's different aspects of prophecy, because we've been going through the prophets, right? We tend to generally, when we even hear the word prophecy, we tend to think of foretelling the future. That's what we think of when we hear it. But prophecy is, is that, but it's much more than that. And many of the prophets did not really foretell the future as much as they, they spoke forth the word of God. So there is forthtelling, which is to proclaim God's word, whatever it might be. Then there is foretelling, which is predicting the future. And so Daniel, he was one who foretold the future. Daniel is to the Old Testament. Many of us know this already. He is to the Old Testament what Revelation is to the New Testament. And when we get to the prophetic portion, beginning in chapter six, we're going to see some interesting overlaps and some interesting parallels uh, between what Daniel has to say and what we read in some of the chapters of Revelation. Daniel sees these things prophetically through the lens of God's work with Israel. Revelation is seen through a universal lens. So, in other words, when Daniel's prophesying about the same things that Revelation is prophesying about the, the end times events, Daniel is looking at them almost strictly from the, the vantage point of, of Israel, how this affects Israel. Revelation, does, Israel is included in Revelation, obviously, chapter 7, we see the, the 144,000, the, the 12,000 from each of the 12 tribes of Israel brought back in and so forth. But then the focus is more universal from the standpoint of Revelation, covering the same things, but looking at it from a slightly different angle. Now, Daniel is 
in the academic world, it has been highly controversial. And the controversy centers around the date and the authorship of the book. So there's a book that was written some years ago called Daniel in the Critic's Den. And, you know, it's talking about the higher criticism, the, you know, liberal criticism that has come against Daniel. So the, the date and the authorship of Daniel have been contested over the years, beginning actually in the third century AD. So there was a, a man who was an antagonist of, of the Christian faith in the third century who brought his case against Daniel being the author and the date of the book being back in the sixth century. And he argued that the book had to be written by some unknown person in the second century. And although he was probably the first one, at least the first one that that we know about in history who who took that position uh, after the period of the Enlightenment, that became more and more common among scholars. And so here's the problem. The problem for them is that if you say that this book was written by Daniel in the 6th century B.C., the problem is he predicts these things that happened during, let's say, the Maccabean period. He predicts them so perfectly that it would have to be a miracle to do that. And since higher critics didn't believe in miracles, they said this couldn't have been written in the 6th century. It had to be written not as a prophecy, but it had to be written as history. It had to be written by somebody who looked back on it. But the interesting thing that you realize when they argued that is that it's obvious that Daniel chapter 11, they're really referring to the 11th chapter of Daniel, that it is so precise, it is is so precise historically that they could not believe that it was given before the events took place. But they attest to the precision of it. So they just argue against Daniel being the author. But again, it, the reason they do that is simply because they do not accept the miraculous. They do not believe that God could, through a person like Daniel, predict with any kind of accuracy the future. And so that's the whole battle for Daniel. There's a few other things that they point out and say, well, you know, a word is used that wouldn't have been used at Daniel's time and so forth. But I think we can be really confident that Uh, Daniel was indeed the author that he did write uh, in the 6th century BC and that he did write by inspiration of the Spirit of God, the God who knows all things, the God who knows uh, the end from the beginning and can and does reveal those secrets to his servants. So we will rest with that. Now, just for a moment, the context here is Babylon. Babylon was the largest city in the world in Daniel's time. It covered 
about 2,500 acres of land. Uh, The Greek historian Herodotus, he visited the city of Babylon in, in about 450. So this was after the time of Daniel. Herodotus visited and he said that the city surpassed the splendor of any city in the known world. He described the walls of the city as being 80 feet thick, 320 feet high, and 56 miles long. Now, archaeologists have disputed his measurements. They said it wasn't 56 miles long, it was 11 miles long, it wasn't 300 feet high. That Some of the archaeologists have said that. Now, Here's an interesting thing as well. Now, there's a point as we're reading through Daniel here, and we're going to find Nebuchadnezzar is going to say these words about Babylon. Is this not great Babylon that I have built, that I have built for my majesty and my glory? Archaeologists have discovered in excavating the region that nine out of 10 bricks that have been excavated have Nebuchadnezzar's name on them. (laughs) So he wasn't joking. He wasn't exaggerating. He built this great, great city of Babylon. It was home to over 1,000 temples. And of course, these were temples to various gods and goddesses the chief god of Babylon being Marduk. But John Lennox said this. He said, Babylon, although that was the case, Babylon was far more than a religious center. It was a commercial and intellectual hub as well. Many of its temples had substantial libraries And there were centers devoted to the study of law, astronomy and astrology, architecture, engineering, medicine, and art. So Lennox, the Oxford professor, says it was a thriving university city. So it was magnificent. It was, there there were the... um, the hanging gardens of Babylon that Nebuchadnezzar had himself made. And they were known in, uh, as you know, that list of seven wonders of the ancient world. Uh, They were part of the seven wonders of the ancient world. So now think about Daniel. So Daniel comes from Jerusalem. His whole life has been in Jerusalem. And the temple was in Jerusalem and Solomon had built the temple. And it, it, Solomon's temple itself was one of the wonders of the ancient world. So it was a magnificent structure. But in comparison, Jerusalem which is like a little town in comparison to what uh, Babylon was like. So it might be, you know, like moving from some completely obscure little Midwestern town to New York City. And you're, it's just a whole new world. And that would be the world that Daniel and his friends arrived in. Now, one more thing I want to talk about before we jump into the text is the theological emphasis in Daniel. 
And this is a quote from a man named Gleason Archer, but this is really excellent what he said. He said, the principal theological emphasis in Daniel, so in other words, this is the overarching theme of Daniel, is the absolute sovereignty of Yahweh, the God of Israel. So at a time when it seemed to all the world that his cause was lost and that the gods of the heathen had triumphed, causing his temple to be burned to the ground, it pleased the Lord strikingly and unmistakably to display his omnipotence. The theme running through the whole book is that the fortunes, and listen to this, the fortunes of kings and the affairs of men are subject to God's decrees and that he is able to accomplish his will despite the most determined opposition of the mightiest potentates on earth. Oh, I love that. So lest we live in anxiety about our political leaders and what they might do, we have to remember Yahweh, the God of Israel, is absolutely sovereign. He's ruling over the nations. And and as we're going to see at a certain point, how many of you have not read the book of Daniel? Anyone not read the book of Daniel in the room? Okay, good. So everybody's familiar with it, except one person. <laughs> well, you're here, and, and we're going to read it, right? I'm going to give you a little preview of what happens. So. <laughs> but in the fourth chapter, we know that probably the greatest single ruler in all of history, Nebuchadnezzar, who had more power than anyone has had before or since, that... God completely humbled him and gave him the mind of a beast. And he roamed about in the fields for seven years. And at the end of that, he says that all of that happened until he knew that the God of heaven reigned in the kingdoms of men. And so, listen, I know there's a lot of angst among people, even still, in regard to politics and, you know, all the things that are happening in that realm. And understandably, it's crazy times. But God is sovereign. And he is the one who is in charge. And so let's not forget that. So with that, Let's come back to the text here. So verse two says, the Lord gave Jehoiakim, king of Judah, into the hand of Nebuchadnezzar. So you can imagine that, that many, many people, now in, in that time, of course, people understood things in terms of the gods battling one another. And the winner was the greater God. So the fact that Nebuchadnezzar invaded and ultimately destroyed Jerusalem to all of the surrounding peoples, that would have indicated that Marduk was the great God. He was a greater God than Yahweh because after all, he had defeated Yahweh 
seemingly. And one of the things that it tells us here about what, what Nebuchadnezzar did, notice he brought the articles of the house of God and he carried them to Shinar and he put them in the treasure house of his God. So that was his way of showing the superiority of his God by taking the instruments from the temple of God. You see, this God of, of Jerusalem, this God of Judah, couldn't even protect his own temple. He couldn't keep his city from being destroyed. He couldn't keep his, his devotees from being led away captive. So to everyone looking on, it seemed that Again, the Babylonian gods were superior. So even the Jews would have probably been confused about this. They probably would have been asking the question like, how has this happened? And here, Daniel tells us God, far from being defeated by Nebuchadnezzar, God was actually in control of the whole thing. God sent Nebuchadnezzar to do this. You know, it's funny because we're talking about this and as we're even talking about it, I'm thinking of, um, you know, we're talking about the ancient world and the battle of the gods and things. But you know, those kinds of things happen today still. I remember years and years ago, some of you guys might remember this because it's a guy thing. It was a boxing match. Um, <laughs> but there are girl boxers today, so maybe, maybe you'll remember it too, ladies. Uh, there was a match between Muhammad Ali and George Foreman. And they fought in Zaire. And it was seen as, well, here's what Muhammad Ali said to George Foreman. I'm going to kick your Christian A. So in the mind of Muhammad Ali, this was a battle between Allah and the Christian God. And that's how it was actually being promoted in, in some ways, not officially, but you know, those were some of the things that were being seen behind or said behind the scenes. And so when Ali pulled off this amazing upset in the eighth round, everybody thought, all, all of those Nation of Islam guys, of course, thought this is proof that our God, that Allah is greater than the Christian God. Cheryl was telling me the other day that she was reading this book uh, kind of about the history of San Francisco. And I think it was probably in the 70s, maybe, something like that. So back in the 70s, the, um, you know, San Francisco's a little bit of a wild place, right? It's a little crazy and, you know, kind of anti-God and stuff like that. join Pastor Brian in the studio as he shares about this month's resource. Hi, Pastor Brian here, and it is almost Christmas. And of course, this is a time of year when everybody is aware of this holiday. They're hearing Christmas music as they're out shopping, and yet not everyone knows what Christmas is truly all about. So, we have a great offer for you for this month. 
It's a small book, and it's entitled, Is Christmas Unbelievable? It's written by Rebecca McLaughlin, who is an excellent writer and has so many good things to say here. Really a great little book to give to a friend, a neighbor, a family member at this time of the year. So I would encourage you to pick up your copy of Is Christmas Unbelievable by Rebecca McLaughlin. Again, this month's resource is a book titled, Is Christmas Unbelievable? Four Questions Everyone Should Ask About the World's Most Famous Story by Rebecca McLaughlin. You can order the book, It's Christmas Unbelievable, by going to our website, backtobasicsradio.com. Scroll down until you see the photo of it, and then click on the donate button. When you give a gift to Back to Basics, we'll send you the book, Is Christmas Unbelievable? Four questions everyone should ask about the world's most famous story by Rebecca McLaughlin to help equip you to defend the faith. It's our way of saying thank you for your generous support of this ministry. We'd also like to remind you that all of our other resources are waiting for you at backtobasicsradio.com or by calling our request line at 1-800-733-6443. That's 1-800-733-6443. Our desire is to encourage you in your daily walk with God. We'll continue tomorrow with more valuable insights from Pastor Brian as we study together in the book of Daniel. Back to Basics is the preaching and teaching ministry of Calvary Chapel, Costa Mesa, California.